from their studio in the Feeding Arizona building in Youngtown, Arizona, it's the Boomer and the Babe Show with Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. Join Pete and Deborah and their guests as they give voice to 78 million baby boomers from coast to coast and border to border. Now here are the Boomer and the Babe, Pete Peters and Deborah Brown. And yes, here we are, the Boomer and the Babe Show. It is uh, 11 o'clock in Arizona, 10 o'clock on the West Coast. And 1 o'clock after lunch on the East Coast, we're welcome everybody that's listening to our show today. This is the Boomer the Babe Show. Uh, Invite you all to go to boomerthebabe.com and take a look at our website, see everything else that we're involved in, uh, including uh, some e-books and mini-books and our online magazine. A couple of copies of our online magazine, Boomer Experience Speaks, is right there on that website also. And if you would be so kind as to... Uh, sign up to be on our email list, and we would be glad to send you that uh, publication, online publication, every time it comes out, approximately every four to six weeks. Uh, absolutely free. Many of the articles in there are submitted by guests on the show and people that have written ebooks for us. So, all good information. We hope you would will enjoy that uh, if you'd go so uh, so far as to give us your email address. We'd love to uh, keep con- keep communicating with you. Uh, that being said, we've got a great show today. Uh, our, my guest today is Rita Gigante, and Rita Gigante has uh, written a book called The Godfather's Daughter, and uh, we're going to be talking about this unlikely story of love, healing, and redemption, and we're going to get into that here in a little while with Rita, but we get Rita, in the meantime, welcome to the Boomer and the Babe Show. Thank you, hon. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm certainly glad you're with me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, what what we do uh, on the show is if Deborah were here, and uh, she's not today, but uh, I uh, do it in her stead when she's not here, and that is ask you for your two-minute movie, which sure. is uh, a little bit of background of, uh, of who and what uh, Rita Gigante is and what you've been involved in and so on and so forth. Uh, I know there's going to be a lot of your information and history that we're going to be discussing as we discuss the book, and mm-hmm. discuss and discuss your uh, uh, your uh, your exploration and your journey. Uh, but prior to all of that, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background, if you would, please. Sure. Um, I grew up in a, a typical uh, Italian Catholic home, um, raised, you know, um, as, as well. Anybody who's listening understands what, probably what that means if they're Italian and Catholic. You know, the women were um, pretty much meant to uh, get married, have kids, clean the house, cook, and the men, um, you know, they were able to pretty much run the show. So it was very difficult growing up in, in my world because um, women were looked at a certain way. And I, I grew up a very unconventional child um, who didn't believe in any of that stuff. So I was kind of fighting the battle uh, from a very young age, and at the age of 11, I realized um, I had, uh, uh, you know, I, I, that I was gay and that I needed to come come out somehow, but I, I knew it wasn't going to be until much later in my life, uh, even though I knew that I was different in that way uh, than the rest of my family. Um, it, it was a scary, scary time of my life because my dad, being the um, head of the Genovese crime family, in Manhattan, uh, you know, coupled with the rest of all of this stuff going on inside of me, uh, there, there was, uh, you know, a lot of uh, room for sickness. Um, 
depression, I would say OCD, um, panic attacks, anxiety attacks. So I was, you know, growing up with all of that until probably my mid-20s uh, when I decided to take my life back uh, and become a healer and who I am today. But it was a very long, long process, um, worth every step of the way. Uh, some of it was extremely difficult um, to get through, but in the end, uh, here I am standing tall and uh, able to speak my truth and be authentic um, and, and not be afraid. I have so much freedom now that I didn't have when I was growing up in my household. Um, and, and so I have a lot more appreciation for um, f- for life in general, uh, just from my experiences. So I am a healer today, a uh, psychic medium uh, healer, and I actually help people get on their own path to uh, truth and living their authentic life. And um, I help a lot of people who are stuck in patterns, uh, same like I was in, uh, especially those who it's very hard for them to come out. Um, and uh, worked with people. I've, I've worked with infants right up to 95 years old. So um, I very, very much enjoy my work. I love what I do, and I look forward to continuing the work. Uh, I I certainly want to get into that. Uh, that that's uh, obviously very important to you. <clears throat> but I uh, I also am very interested in, and I, I just think it's uh, uh, an American thing that we're all all very interested in knowing more about. Uh, as uh, did you call it the Genovese crime family? Yes. Uh, um, We've all seen the movies, okay? Sure. We've all seen the movies. We've seen the TV shows. It goes back to The Godfather and gosh knows what else. Uh, Is any of that stuff at all the way it was? Um, There there are aspects of it that that are similar um, in nature, but but I'd have to say not all of it. not all of it. Some of it, you know, is definitely movie stuff, and other parts of it, uh, you know, have a, a similarity uh, to it. I mean, it's it, you know, when you're when you're in this type of family, you're very close knit. Um, you know, there's not a lot of um, talking about these kind of things, so everything is very hush hush. Um, so you know, we're whispering, and you know, we're passing notes or. Um, and of course, the radio and the TV are on in the background, and um, to muffle the noise. And you know, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of underlying tones and things going on that you know, you, as as a five year old kid walking around or a seven year old the way I was, I knew something was not right, but I couldn't you know c- couldn't put my finger on it. You know, it wasn't so, like that. It wasn't like that in your friends' houses. No, for sure. For sure, I learned a very different uh, life when I would spend time at my friends' houses, especially as uh, as I got older and I would eat dinner at their houses. Um, there was a lot of conversation. There was a father who was interested in their children's welfare and in their life and in their, um, you know, their day-to-day activities. And I I wasn't experiencing any of that growing up. So there was um, there was a bit of loneliness, uh, you know, attached to that and. Um, and among other, you know, multitude of emotions, but 
um, I, I felt like I was kind of living uh, alone, you know, in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, but yeah, I, w- I was grateful uh, to the fact that you know uh, I was had these people in my life because it did show me something different, and um, and I appreciate it because they took me in and they um, they welcomed me into their home. So it, it was a beautiful thing. Now, what 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 was or what has been the the the, the journey of the uh, of the family? Uh, are, are are still members of the family in, involved in uh, activities uh, other than law abiding at this to this day? Or no, no, nobody else is. When, when my dad died, everything died with ah, him. Okay. So there's nobody involved at this point. Okay, very good. So now, uh, forgive me for not knowing the answer to this. Uh, you're always supposed to know an answer to the question before you ask it, but I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, 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 how did your father pass? Was Did he pass naturally? He passed in jail uh, from congestive heart failure, they told us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the middle of the night. Uh, they said his you know, his lungs filled up, and, yes. um, and that was it. So when my mom went to see him about two weeks prior, uh, she said he he looked very very um, you know bloated like uh, his legs and his arms and everything looked a little distorted um, like he was carrying water so um, but never thinking that you know that would would happen you know um, she just thought he was experiencing something and they would give him something for it and it would get better mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so. Well, having had a battle of congestive heart failure myself, I know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, it's um, so through the through the course of uh, your life. Uh, at how old were you when your when your father was uh, sent to jail? Uh, the first time I wasn't even born, and the second time was in. I think he got arrested in '95, but then he was under house arrest. So I was in my 30s when when that was all taking place. And then he died in 2006 or 7. Um and now I'm I'm 46 now, so um I was, you know, in my 30s at that point. Sure. Now is your is your mother still with you? Yes. And she's healthy and well and probably uh living a decent life now, I would hope. She's um, very healthy uh, for what she's been through, because she's been through a lot, um, sure. uh, even on a physical level. Uh, she's had a couple of strokes. and um, oh has ex- Yeah, she has experienced some. But um, for what she's been through, yes, she's. I would have to say she's healthy. I would say that one of the biggest uh, probably things that helped her was the writing of the book, because it gave her an opportunity to um, be free of uh, a lot of the things that... Uh, kept us all kind of um, uh, trapped. You know, that, that's the feeling I had. I can't speak for anybody else, but that's the feeling I had. It was this feeling of being trapped. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she she could have uh, probably checked out sooner than this, but she's given herself the opportunity to have some freedom in her life, um, which is really beautiful to see at, at 83. And um, she, lives, she lives with my sister. We live a very, you know... Um, Normal life. She lives with my sister, you know, uh, Roseanne, and uh, the three of uh, the three girls um, pretty much take care of her. Me, my, and, my, and both my sisters. 
So um, does she live, you know, well, well off? No, I know what people think when they when they hear this name, but um, no, it's not. It really isn't like that. You know, we live like everybody else. Just a normal run of the mill. That's eight, it. <laughs> eight, eight to five kind of a day, huh? Yes, very much so. Very you, much so. You had to say, as you mentioned, you had to keep quiet uh, about your father and and your and your your life and your family's life and and what was going on. At what point did you get the courage or the inspiration? And what was it that gave you the courage and the inspiration to start talking about it openly? I was in my mid twenties. I actually started therapy at the age of nineteen, um, which was my first opportunity to. Um, bring it to somebody who was not associated with my family and could listen to me objectively and kind of help me through the emotional aspects of it. But it really wasn't until my mid-20s where I decided I didn't want to be a victim uh, in this any longer and I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to sacrifice myself any longer because I, I, because of the emotional trauma over the years, I experienced a lot of physical ailments. You know, I was sick constantly. I had uh, round and rounds and rounds of antibiotics in my body as a kid growing up, a lot of ear, nose, and throat stuff. I had pneumonia, all kinds of stomach issues on top of the anxiety, panic, and OCD and uh, depression. Uh, these would be the other things that would occur for me. And I, I just got to the point where I didn't want to be physically ill anymore or, or emotionally ill and so I said, okay, I'm, you know, I have to do this. I know if I, I knew at that point in my life that nobody was going to be able to fix this, that it had to be me that came to terms with it. And one of the biggest things I think that brought it um, to a head was I realized I had to forgive myself, my father, my family, uh, the members in my family, and and that really catapulted the healing journey. Well, you certainly weren't going to be able to change the history. I mean, uh, right. <laughs> that's one it of those things. there, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you can't rewrite it. You can't make it go away. You can't deny it uh, right. because it is it is there. And, and dealing with it is about the only thing you had left, I would imagine. Yeah, and, and what I realized is I could transform it um, and, and, and get past it and heal it and uh, not have to keep reliving uh, the emotions of it, you know, because it wasn't healthy for me. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it would, that alone, that that knowing and and that revelation uh, alone really um, solidified me knowing that I was going to be okay. During the course of your uh, your youth, uh, what I mean, what did what did you witness? Uh, what did you witness that? Uh, People may not know about, uh, or maybe they only only understand it through some of these movies that we talked about earlier. Uh, were, were there were there certain things that were going on that you looked at it and you said, "Wow, what is this? What are they doing?" Or sure, sure. You know? I was, you know, imagine a seven or eight year old um, sitting in a four room apartment, um, and the TV is on and the radio is on, and my dad sitting at the head of the dining room table and. You know, here walks in three or four guys, his friends, who we all knew them as his friends, you know. Um, And they were very, very nice men. Um, And they would come and they would sit down, and um, my dad never spoke. 
So um, if anything, someone would whisper in his ear and he would write on a piece of paper or they would write on a piece of paper and papers would be going back and forth, back and forth. So, you know, I have one ear and eye to the TV uh, watching cartoons, the other ear and eye to the table wondering what is happening with all of this. And then, of course, um, in the end of all of it, you know, we rip them up, we either flush them down the toilet or who's burning the piece of paper or... um, So these were... These were things that were consistent in in my life that I didn't understand, uh, you know, what was happening. And so, um, you know, I would question, I'd find it, uh, you know, um, intriguing as as a seven or eight-year-old, but never really understand it. But, you know, even even at seven or eight, you're, you're aware of the fact that, um, you know, this man is important. You know, because they're coming to him and they're sitting with him, and he's telling them what to do. Whether and you and you know, I don't know how you know that, but you just know that, especially uh, if you grow up around it. You know, so um, you know, I knew that, but I didn't know why or how or the you know the ins and outs of it. I just was witnessing things that were happening, um, and you know, growing up with uh, it being, like, not okay because I knew it was different and, um, you know, questioning it, but also it being very normal because I lived it day-to-day kind of thing. Is it it safe to say that you you saw whatever it was that was going on and you sensed that it wasn't, uh, and I'm sure you found out as you visited with other friends, as we mentioned earlier also, but it it was a kind of a sense of this not being normal, this not being right, but I can't ask? Exactly, exactly. There was always that feeling of I can't ask or I can't tell because if I needed something to talk about with myself, you know, having, let's just use the example of feeling something for girls because I was 11 when I realized, you know, there there was no talking to anybody about it um, and you just kind of knew that you couldn't, you know. You didn't even know why, but you knew you'd be in trouble if you did. And you didn't understand why you would be in trouble because, you know, if you're feeling something good for somebody else, uh, whatever that may be, um, you don't know why that's wrong, you know. I am going to wager that uh, that there was a situation going on there where here you were, uh, a, a very young girl, uh, having uh, different thoughts other than heterosexual thoughts. Mm-hmm. Being raised by you know in a Catholic uh, surrounding, and being raised by a very secretive family based on what the business, the family business was, right. uh, that that those three things together uh, really started to weigh on you relatively early in your life, uh, just because there there where would you be able to where would you be able to go with that? Well, exactly. Um, and I had much older siblings. Um, I am the, the one right above me is ten years older than me, so I was almost like a different generation. Mm-hmm. Um, my oldest sister, who's sixteen years older than me, almost um, was helping raise me at that point um, when I was born. So um, you know, there was no there was no feeling of uh, I can go to somebody that was close to me that I could talk to about this, and then you know you don't go to friends with it because you don't know how they're going to, you know, going to react. Um, so it, it was, um, and, and yes, at, at a very young age, 
probably my first memory is the age of five. I remember feeling um, depressed and and feeling my mother's energy and feeling my mother's um, uh, emotions. And and I think part of the part of the um, not knowing why I had so much anxiety and and all of that was because I was carrying her stuff along with my own, and I couldn't even tell the difference of whose was whose um, at that point. So, you know, my mom was in the throes of a lot of stuff when I was born, um, and and so she was leaning on me, not even knowing she was leaning on me. Mm-hmm. And so by the age of five, um, and, you know, having a very sensitive energy that I have, I was picking up on all of this. Mm-hmm. If she was sad, I was sad, you know, that kind of thing. So, so you were carrying uh, multiple loads, so to speak. Yes, yes, very much. W- was it ever the case that your your father was, uh, in some ways, fatherly as you were s- experiencing it in your friends' homes? Um, well, listen, we we I mean, Sunday dinner was a must. You know, we always ate Sunday dinner together, but there wasn't a lot of talk. That that was, I think, the issue. There was not a lot of talk. It was the same, you know, uh, three or four questions of how are you and how school and, but there wasn't, you know, there was no real communication, we'll say. But what he did do, things I do remember and um, loved about him is he was very gentle in a lot of ways. So if I was sick, you know, he would rub my back until I fell asleep. I would lay on his lap and he would rub my back till I fell asleep. Um, sometimes we'd walk together. Um, you know, there. as I got older and I was kind of able, because I, I have a sense of humor about me, so I was kind of able to pull him in a little bit where he, and you know, surprisingly, you know, he, I would get him up and he loved Elvis Presley, so if I put an Elvis Presley song on, you know, didn't matter if he was in his robe and slippers, he'd get up and he'd start dancing to Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, these were very far and few in between moments where I'd have to say he was, you know, a dad. He allowed himself, he took, you know, the the facade off and allowed himself to be a dad uh, for those moments and completely um, let himself just be a person. And and that was um, heartwarming, you know, it, you know, for him to be able to do that. And then you could see 10 minutes later he was back to him, you know, back in, back in his... Uh, uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to call it costume, but you know, he was back in that world again, knowing that he had to watch himself. Um, and then I, you know, I couldn't even imagine as as the forgiveness started to happen, I, I started to put myself in his shoes to to really understand him better. And I tell you, I couldn't even imagine the kind of pressure he held on himself, um, and and what he was going through, having to look over his shoulder and experience what he was going through. And these are all choices he made. I'm not trying to excuse it or anything. Believe me, um, but it was my it, it was it was my way of getting in touch with him to understand him better, so that I could forgive it, you know, and put it past me. So, um, so you know, it's like putting myself in somebody else's shoes to see. So, for all these years, you had only fleeting moments of normalcy. Exactly. Um, exactly. How was it? Uh... How was it that your father got involved in that line of work in the first place? Well, uh, it's my understanding that he was um, very, very young. He was about 14 when 
um, you know, he was running little numbers. He had his little number thing going. And then he was taken under the wing of Vito Genovese. At the age of 16, uh, he started boxing. And, um, you know, they watched him and they liked him. And he was very charismatic, my dad. So uh, people took to him very easily. And more and more Vito um, and him got close. And then, you know, Vito took him under his his wing and, and showed him things. And back then, you know, they they went through a depression, as you know, Twenties, uh, thirties, you know, things were things were not good. Right. So they lived. I mean, my my dad, my grandmother, they lived, you know, day to day. They they were poor. They weren't. They didn't have money or anything. And coming for that, I would imagine the survival or, or the, the need to survive um, was tremendous. You know, it was like, how do we, how are we going to survive this? And so, you know, and then you're being shown these things um, that Vito was showing him at the time. And then here comes the money, and here comes the uh, respect, and here comes the power, and boom, before you know it, you're in deep, and there's no going back. Um, and I think that's what happened. I think he got caught up, and um, he allowed his ego to um, get the best of him. And then, you know, he at at at, at some point in time, he, he just couldn't get out anymore. I, I do think he wanted to. Um, I can I can say that I think he had re- regret and I you know I I I know it for a fact because him and I can speak now that he's on the other side but um, and I'm sure we'll get into that aspect um, but it, it's you know it, it's that whole idea of you know we're we're trying to survive here how do we make money okay now we're in this you know we're doing little things here and there and and it just built up and built up to the point where. You know, he he felt like he couldn't get out. He was too enticing um, at that moment, I think. When you finally uh, came out, uh, I understand it by what I'm reading here in front of me, that you came out in your early 20s, and uh, and it was basically to your sisters. Is that correct? Well, it, it was first to my mom and dad at the age of 19. Ah, and then okay. when I when I saw the response of my dad... I kind of took it back uh-huh. because um, I, I knew I was in trouble at that point. So I, I did my best. I wanted to really, um, you know, be myself at that point. And, and I, you know, I took it back. And then at the age of 24, um, my sisters already knew about it. But then I said to my mother, you know, this is who I am. And I, I, if, if you can't accept it, I'm sorry, but this is how I'm going to live my life. I never, ever went to my dad again and told him. Um, but, you know, deep down he knew, and uh, he knew when he passed. And it was okay. I didn't need to tell him at that point because I was okay. Um, and, and I was uh, happy with myself, and I made peace with all, you know, all the things that they were so afraid of. My mother was mostly afraid um, for my soul because she grew up in a very uh, rigid Catholic background. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I had to really... Um, you know, uh, talk with her lengthily about it and tell her that, you know, I made peace and, you know, um, the whole thing with the re- religion and everything. And so she's she's made peace with it today. She's, she's well, fine a, with it. It was a foregone conclusion that you're gay, you're going to hell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I got told, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> I got told. So there was that fear attached to everything as well. well. But then I realized there was no truth to it. I knew that, um, I knew I was a good person. 
I knew I was here to help people. I you know, I knew that was going to be my 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 lot in this life. Uh I didn't know how, but I knew I was going to help people. And so, you know, I made peace with it. And with the religion aspect of it, here's how I here's how I dealt with it. I pretty much said, "You know what? I I'm going to simplify this for myself. I'm going to take what means most to me, and the rest I'm going to leave behind. All the man-made laws, all the nonsense that um you know, for me it was they they wanted to hold people in fear. You know, they make things up so they can hold people in fear. They can manipulate the masses. And I could see it, you know. And I said, I won't be manipulated anymore. I I felt that way in my house and growing up that I was manipulated. So I I wasn't going to take it from anyone else, let alone the Catholic Church. Um, Well, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I had... uh... I had a gentleman on that wrote uh, a book uh, that he indicated is a little literal translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to see if I can. Oh, here it is. The name is, his name is Joe Winky. You may enjoy reading this book. His, okay. name, is, his name is Joe Winky. He's the cultural arsonist, literal reading of the Bible. And mm. the ta- name of the book is You, you Got to Be Kidding. Yeah, and, and and Joe Winky is uh, what he calls is a trisexual, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he is enamored by uh, transsexual men, mm-hmm. and 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 it is it's a very easy read. He he writes in short snippets, almost like you're writing a. Uh, almost like you're writing a, a Facebook post, mm-hmm. and it's very easy to read. And uh, I mean, I I spent an hour with him, and it was a finance, fantastic book. So I'll just you might enjoy that book, and I'd be interested in knowing what your uh, what your thoughts Thank were you. If, if you read yeah. it. But yeah, because it's it's a it's a fun look at the awesome. Bible. It's a fun Thank look you. at the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's get get back to your story here. Uh, now, when when you finally uh, came out, you told people you're uh, you're going to live the gay lifestyle and so on and so forth because this is really you. Um, you went through a lot of uh, a lot of therapy, uh, I would imagine, uh, mm-hmm. a, a lot of a lot of searching and, and so on. Uh, how long did it take before you were uh, really at peace with it all? Um, with the with the um living my uh, gay lifestyle i was i was at peace with that you know um pretty much right away because uh you know i once i once i brought it out to everybody um i was okay with it it was everybody else that was you know right. having issues with it but um the other stuff i'd have to say um i started experiencing the healing aspect of things within myself um, in my later 20s and in my early 30s. And so um, right through along, uh, I was clearing out the old baggage and um, becoming this new new person. It was like shedding old skin and, and, and taking on a new skin. And so, you know, I, I can't even say that I recognized that person back then. Um, when I look back, I'm like, oh, my God, that's, that's, another, that's another me. That was somebody else. Um, who experienced that, and now I am who I am today. So uh, it was a journey, I'd have to say. There was there was no one cut time where I could say, uh, you know, I'm 100% okay with everything. Um, 
it, it was a journey. It continues to be a journey. Today, I am extremely peaceful. I have no um, no signs of depression. Very, very little anxiety. Um, the OCD sometimes kicks up for me because uh, it's either when I'm extremely stressed out or I haven't slept enough um, or there's something traumatic going on. Uh, you know, if somebody was sick or had an accident or something like that, it'll kick up immediately because that's how I, you know, that was my coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. So other than that, um, I'm, you know, very, very peaceful today and love my work. And my work has um, helped me tremendously uh, move through this process. So, and it, it just, it's so rewarding to be able to help others who have experienced um, either panic, anxiety, depression, OCD, because it wasn't just my my background, you know, it wasn't my family. There's other things in there that when you read the book, you'll see, oh, yeah, you can relate to it, you know. And and that's, I, I couldn't have asked for a better response because that's what people, you know, uh, email me with or they go on Facebook and they tell me, oh, my God, I could totally understand where you come from because I've had this, this, and this. Um, so the fact that I could help others move through that is extremely incredibly, you know, rewarding for me. So uh, when was it, and or when did you start to discover that you were uh, able to help other people through some healing process uh, and helping them find their healing process? When did you discover that, that, that you had that capability? I discovered it probably, I would have to say, before I went to massage school, um, I had I had some... Um, Visions. So I was having visions of um, Christ. I had visions of the Blessed Mother, um, angels, and I was uh, realizing that um, you know that something was was happening to me. Like I knew on the inside how um, very very sensitive I was, my energy, and I can pick up other people's stuff. But then what happened was I I went to massage school, and when I started to put my hands on people is when I really understood what was happening because I could feel what was going on in their bodies. I could sense it. I, and then I started to be able to hear things and see things, and my gifts started to open up. As I cleared out all my old you know, baggage and junk, my gifts started to really take shape. And, um, and, I, and I realized, oh, my God, I can, I can help people heal. Um, and so I realized I became this conduit um, for others uh, to have the uh, higher energies, we'll just call it spirit, because um, you know I don't want I don't want to offend anybody by using any particular words, but um, I would use the energy of spirit, the angels, and um, have it come through me into them, and I we were either unblocking things that were blocked, um, or I was giving them energy where they didn't have energy, um, but I really started to sense it when I when I was doing massage. Now I don't even I don't even do massage anymore. I just do healings and psychic medium work. So um I don't really even have to have my hands on anybody to do the work uh any longer. Which is really cool because I can be on the phone with somebody and send them the energy and they get it. So, so now, now you mentioned the word conduit. So you are basically allowing the Energy, I guess, is a good word. I don't mm-hmm. know. Maybe, maybe yep. it's maybe it would be in uh, in some circles. It might be chi. 
Yep, uh, a higher whether, power. Uh, a higher power, exactly. Sure. You're sure. you're allowing that to move through you to them. Is yes. that is that accurate? That's accurate, and they have to. Um, the the person has to have the willingness or the desire, we'll say, to want to heal on whatever level it is that they choose. It could be physical, it could be emotional, it could be mental, it could be spiritual, and it could be a combination of. Um, but, yep, I'm just that vehicle or that conduit to bring it through. So um, how how long do people stay with you for this process? Does it vary based on... Uh, or how do they know? How do they know that uh, they're they've reached a, a, a better place with with their beliefs or their their feeling or so on? So I mean, wh- what is there? It's, it, there can't be a light switch that goes on and off. Well, for uh, some it is, believe it or not. Oh, is um, it really? Yeah, for some it is. For some, I've had one session with, and um, you know, I, I I don't see them after that, and they'll write me a nice little note saying. You know, they they feel fantastic and they're doing great. And for some, it's that quick. For others, see, it depends on what they're dealing with, um, the amount of baggage they're willing to release at that moment. Um, And so there's no set prescription for anything like this. It's it's not like a chiropractor where you say, okay, come see me three times a week and we'll we'll see what happens in a month. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the session usually lasts anywhere between um, 40 minutes to an hour. And um, after that, you know, they they process. Uh, I give them time to process, and then we keep in touch with each other to see if they're ready to come back for another one, or are they still processing, or they know. I, I, and what happens is I I also teach them how to feel their own stuff and get their own information, trying to empower them so that um, eventually they don't have to come see me anymore. They can um, pretty much do it on their own. I mean, that's that's really what we're we want to do for everyone, how, you know, teach them to figure out, um, okay, how do I get in touch with my own higher self and, and spirit and connect and be able to do this? Um, so that's, you know, that's basically how it happens. But they have to have that desire um, to want to heal. So it's not something I'm doing, you know what I mean? Like um, I'm just being the facilitator for it. We've had people on the show that have talked about the power of the mind, the power of positive thinking, and so on and so forth. And right. all, this this all seems to be uh, in the same general area. Uh, it's it's a belief structure. It's a belief in the fact that it will work. It's a willingness to undertake the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and whatever. surrender. And surrender. And give give yourself up. Give it up. Yeah. That's right. Give it yeah. up because. You know what? I realized myself that the moment I surrendered, um, it, it instantaneously the life changed because mm-hmm. I, I I knew I couldn't do it. I needed I needed help beyond me, you know. Um, and so, and that's when I put my trust in you know the higher the higher realm. And and boy, I got all kinds of help when I did that. Um, and so that's what happens when I'm working with someone. I'll get um, you know higher vibrational energies and and uh, people for you know people they're really spirits from the light that come in and and want to help uh, whether it be angels or um archangels or masters teachers guides whatever it is um you know it's happening all in, and of course up there I, I say up there but really you know we're all one here but if, if we want to call it heaven uh there's no time up there right 
So things happen instantaneously on on their end, whereas you know we're linear time down here, so we're not really <laughs> we're looking at things as you know minutes and hours and days, but they see healings as you know instantaneous. So that's how I try and um, you know kind of uh, talk to the client about it. You know, just know that you're limitless. You can heal instantly if you want, and it really depends on the lesson they're learning. Because some people need to experience certain things to learn lessons uh, in order for the soul to evolve. Um, which, God, we can talk about that for hours, but anyway. The uh, Earlier in the conversation, maybe this is not the, the perfect place in our, in our talk today to go to this, but earlier in the conversation you said something about communicating uh, with your father. Yeah. And, you, and now you can have discussions with him. Uh, I, I'm assuming this kind of fits in with this uh, open conduit type situation uh, that mm-hmm. we're talking about. Uh, uh, so tell me a little bit about your uh, your discussions, if you don't mind, with, with your father. No, 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 I don't mind. When when he first passed, um, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe not even, you know, six hours maybe after he passed, he came to one of my colleagues who does that kind of work all the time. She's a medium, so uh, like John Edward. And so uh, he came to her, and, and, and her and I were on the phone, and he was telling her, um, you know, that, that he was okay. He he had a very, very short amount of fear, you know, when he, when he was passing, but that was because his lungs were filling up and he wasn't able to breathe. But it was like over in seconds, and, and then he let himself go. Um, but that he was fine and that he would be back to speak with me when the time was right. And that really meant um, when the time was for me not that I wasn't, um, what's the word I want, when I wasn't grieving anymore. Because when you're grieving, sometimes you cannot feel uh, the energy that's trying to come through. So um, I went through the grieving process with my family, and then um, he just decided to show up one day. <laughs> Uh, very subtly, which was, uh, I'm grateful because at the beginning he would come in to any one of my friends. If he had to contact me for something, to tell me something, uh, he would come through any one of my colleagues or friends that were able to do this work. He'd come in like a bull in a china shop. I mean, you knew his energy. And he didn't let go until um, he got you. And, you know, I'd get phone calls in the middle of the night. Listen, your dad came to me, you know, and he told me blah, blah, blah. So, um once he was able to get to me, and he came very gently, and we had the conversation of him wanting to uh, help me in my work, and he apologized for uh, not understanding me when he was alive, and that he understood why I took the path I took, and uh, he could see it all now from a different perspective because he didn't have his ego in the way, um, you know, showing him something different. He he was looking through, you know, the eyes of his soul. So, um, and now I can see him that way which was a beautiful, beautiful experience. And there was, an, um, uh, you know, plenty of times where he's come in uh, while I was working on clients uh, to tell me, listen, I think uh, they need this, this, and this, um, and, you know, helping me with the healing process. Um, he's come in and talked to me about my mom, and um, I, I know a couple of past lives I've had with my dad, so um, we've discussed that. I mean, it's just been an incredible, incredible experience. I know him on a level that I could have never known him if he was alive. And so I I tell people all the time, it's never too late, not even when someone passes, 
you can still have a relationship with someone, you know, even after they're gone, because they're never really gone, you know. So, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it just occurs to me, you're having these discussions with your father, and uh, you have a mother that's uh, 83, did you say? Yes. And uh, she's had some health issues herself. Does he ever relate to you what her prognosis is for life on Earth? Does he have? Is he capable of having that kind of a discussion? He is, but it's not ever really about that. Uh, It's more about you know um, maybe he'll say to me, "Your mom's uh, you know anxious, and she's going through some uh, uh, you know a rough patch." So, you know, be a little bit closer to her because she's going to need your energy, which is not unusual for my dad because uh, the last thing he said to me on the phone um, before he passed was take care of your mother, which I heard my whole life. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he doesn't say it. You see, I don't take it that way anymore, like like it's a burden or anything. Or, you know, I take it now like, yes, uh, I understand. Like, of course, I'll be there for her. He says it differently. He means it differently. And I and I take it differently at this point in the life. Whereas before, I felt like, yeah, you can you know, you're over there doing your own thing and and taking care of a hundred other things, and and you forgot about my mother here. And so you want me to take care of her? I don't feel that way anymore. You know, it's um, kind of past all of that stuff. And now it feels more like he's trying to just um, make her be as comfortable as possible until she decides um, she wants to leave her body here and, and, and move on to the next realm. So, you know, it's more of about how can we make her as comfortable as possible and um, allow her to live at least with a little bit of freedom here that she hasn't experienced much of uh, in her life. And so that's, you know, that's what I help her do now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more about that kind of stuff than him telling me, okay, you know, she's got this, this, or that. Uh, with with your Catholic upbringing, and uh, and I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that uh, almost every religion, and, and I don't know of one, so I I can almost make the blanket statement that all religions have a certain element of guilt that they try to wield around, so that mm-hmm. people will will be um, uh, beholden to the religion. I guess is maybe a way of saying it. Right. Uh, the uh, it seems to me that you have managed to deal with that, certainly, but nonetheless, there also seems to be, uh, whether you call it a spirituality, a higher power, whatever it may be, there still seems to be remnants of Catholicism that you cling to. Is that accurate? I wouldn't say I cling to it. I would say that um, I carry it very dear to me uh-huh. because it is what I feel most comfortable with. But gotcha. Um, I wouldn't call myself religious. Um, I would call myself spiritual, and then I um, channel the energies of Jesus, Mary, the angels and archangels, and any of the masters that would like to come in, because I've I've had Native American um, spirits come in and work with me with certain people who were connected to that. I've had Kuan Yin come in and work with me. I've had Buddha come in and work with me when I'm dealing with the like the ultimate compassion side of things. Um so I've had other um you know energies come in and work with me. Um it's just that my primary ones that I work with on a daily basis would be those, you know, the the um blessed mother and Jesus. Now, 
you know, that could be just because uh, I feel a connection to them because of the, um, you know, uh, the Catholic religion, but I wouldn't say I look at it as part of the Catholic religion because um, I see them as very different than what the Catholic religion shows them as. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they 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 describe them very differently than the way I see them. Um, so um, I wouldn't say it's, it's a matter of clinging to them, just that it resonates with me. It's it's certainly always there. Uh, Absolutely, it, it, it has some some form or some presence in your in your healing. in my work. Yes, in your work. Yeah. Okay. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, what uh, what are can you give us one or two points through all of this that uh, have um, have really embedded themselves in you and that you like people to know about you or about your work? Just a couple of things that are, are your are your cornerstones, so to speak. Yeah, I um, I tell people all the time, um, and, and the biggest reason why I wanted the book to be out there, um, I wanted people to be able to feel comfortable enough with themselves, love themselves, no matter what, um, you know, no matter who they were, no matter what they loved, and uh, or who they loved, uh, and be able to speak their truth and not be afraid to live authentically. The other part was um, know that they have a choice no matter what life situation they're in, um, that they have choice in this life. They can make different choices than the rest of their family or people that believe in a certain way. Um, if they don't believe in it, it's okay. They can make a choice to uh, live their life differently. Um, self-forgiveness, self-love, um, and and honestly, um, not judge, not judging themselves or others, um, because it, it only, um, you know, I always feel like when you judge another human being, you judge yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like you really can't judge anybody because you don't know, you haven't lived their life, you don't know, you know, their whole story. Um, and so, you know, th- those are the really big points that come out in the book. And, and what I like to share with people, um, you know, when I have a, an interview or um, or even in my work. Mm-hmm. Sort of like uh, you haven't walked a mile in their shoes, so. Exactly. So you really don't have a right to cast a stone yeah, um, yeah. at this point. Yeah. Well, and so uh, nobody we... really knows this life, right? Like, you know, you're interviewing me, but you wouldn't really know unless you lived it. Sure. Uh, to understand it, so... Um, and that's what I tell people all the time. You have no idea. You just, you know, so have some compassion, you know. Well, we need to teach a few politicians that, too. Uh, well, and that's, that's, that's a whole other story. <laughs> that's, that's the end of my political statement for this day. There you uh, go. I love it. <laughs> Well, I, I I see by the hands on the clock that we are down to the short rows, as they say in the country and in the farmland. So okay. uh, I I want to make sure that we have uh, give you a chance to give your shameless self promotion. So why don't you go ahead, Rita, and tell us uh, where they can get the book, how they can contact you, how they, if they if they feel they'd like to uh, partake of some of your work and and explore things with you, uh, how can sure. all that be done? Well, you can you can definitely find me on Facebook. At this moment, I am redoing my website. If you wanted to get a glimpse of me, you can go on www.spaceofgrace.net. Make sure you put the A in the beginning. Um, 
and you can but Facebook everybody gets me through Facebook. You can buy the um the book anywhere at this point. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any bookstore um pretty much has it. And of course it'll be for sale when I have the website up, but those are probably the best ways you can um get a hold of me and um and buy the book. Very good. Very good. And uh also in the information I was sent is that uh, there's another lady involved in the book, Natasha Stoinoff, who is... Yeah, uh, she's the co-writer, yes. Okay, okay. And so she uh, she is uh, co-author, is... Uh, yep. Is that co-author. is that accurate? Okay, sure. very good, very good. Yep. You and can she, find her on Facebook, too. Um, I'm actually still working with Natasha. Um, she was phenomenal at um, capturing my voice in this story. She really okay. was. Okay, very good. So, Rita Gigante or Natasha Stoynoff, S-T-O-Y-N-O-F. Gigante is G-I-G-A-N-T-E mm-hmm. and uh, on Facebook. And uh, you can look them up. You can friend them, uh, see what they're all about. And uh, also, uh, I'm sure they can get you through uh, Googling your name and so on and so forth as well. Absolutely. If you Google the name, everything comes up. Yeah, very good. Good old, Good old Mr. Google. Good old Mr. Google. Mr. Google. Thank you so much, hon. I so appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. It's been a very enjoyable hour and very interesting talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time as well. Thank you, love. Thanks, Rita. Take care. Have a great time. Have a great life. Take care now. You you too, honey. Bye-bye. And that has been Ms. Rita Gigante, author of the book, The Godfather's Daughter. Interesting, interesting lady. Uh... If if the book is half as good as the conversation was, uh, I'm sure you're in for a, a very nice read. So please take a look at Finding the Godfather's Daughter. Rita Gigante and Natasha Stoinoff are the authors. Find them both on Facebook or Google, Rita Gigante, G-I-G-A-N-T-E, and I'm sure all of it will come up as she said. All that having been said, have a great day, everybody. We're off here to the Phoenix Open to the 16th hole where all the noise and raucous times are. We're looking forward to being out there this afternoon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back again tomorrow. Take care. Have a great day, everybody. interesting conversations to the world. Be sure to follow us on Twitter where we tweet as Boomer and Babe and on Facebook as Pete Peters 47. As always, you can friend us on Blog Talk Radio or sign up for our newsletter at boomerandthebabe.com. Email us at host at boomerandthebabe.com with any of your comments. Remember, at 50, you're just getting started. 